This is Chapter 45 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. We kick off 2018 with The Woman in the Window, a thriller that's shaping up to be one of the most buzzed-about books this year. And later, we remember the late Sue Grafton. A.J. Finn is the nom de plume of Dan Mallory, and even before his debut novel was published, the movie and foreign rights to the book had been sold. That's how much excitement surrounds The Woman in the Window. And once you read the book, you'll understand what the commotion is all about. He recently visited our studios and spoke with Pat Farnack about the hype. I just found out that you are a guy. Yesterday, it's, it's, I, it's true. It was a surprise to me as it well. It floored me. It did it? No, it really oh, did. Oh, right. After reading your book, I somehow got the idea that it was a woman talking to me. So uh-huh. you must have an amazing understanding of women. Uh, you know, frequently when telemarketers call me, they address me as a woman. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not altogether surprised. This has happened to me before. I, I chose to write under a gender-neutral pseudonym because until last Friday, I worked in publishing and had done for over a decade. Until last Friday. Until last Friday. Wow. I know. I just resigned. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I feel uh, I, I, I miss my colleagues, but I feel relieved. For the past year and a half, between my day job and the preparation for The Woman oh. in the Window, I'd been operating at or beyond maximum bandwidth. So this is a relief. When it came time... Uh, a year and a half ago to submit my novel to publishers, I didn't wish to do so under my own name because I work in the industry and I thought people might buy or (laughs) more likely not buy the book (laughs) because they know who I am. I didn't want to put my finger on the scale, so we elected to go with a pseudonym, the gender-neutral route because I wanted to discourage speculation as to who or what I might be. So I chose AJ because I've got a cousin named Alice Jane. She goes by AJ whom I admire a lot, Mm. and Finn I took from the name of uh, another cousin's French bulldog. I love dogs, (laughs) French bulldogs. So so it's not a very elegant origin story, actually. But uh, that's that's how we went with it. And we stuck with the pseudonym, not to mislead readers, but because I didn't want any of the authors whom I published to wander into a bookshop and see their publisher's name writ large across a hardback. I thought that would have been disconcerting for them. I can see that, although Daniel Mallory is a great, it's a broad... Broadcast name, really? Uh, you think it would so? be a great. I think so. I'll take that. That sounds great. So I don't know. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you know, another concern for me was that I'm I'm actually as Daniel Mallory quite a private person, and okay. and disinclined to chat. But uh, as AJ Finn, I can talk about literally everything. AJ Finn does not shut up. So <laughs> so pretentious as that sounds, it does help me organize myself psychologically. Now. The Woman in the Window mm-hmm. uh, has been compared already with Gone Girl and The Girl in the Train. I'll take it. But your main character, Anna Fox, was to me so much more deliciously complicated. Ah, good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I, th- I think the three women you've just cited, uh, Amy in Gone Girl, Rachel in The Girl on the Train, and Anna in The Woman in the Window, share DNA, but they do occupy separate universes. People have said to me, oh, this sounds like the girl on the train, to which I reply, it does. They both take their inspiration from Rear Window, but I'd like to think they veer in very opposite directions. What I was keen to do with Anna, and I'm not implicating uh, Paula Hawkins and certainly Mm, not Gillian Flynn here, but what I was keen to do with Anna was reverse what I perceived to be a worrying trend in publishing, namely that in this genre in particular, although in, in literature more broadly, Female characters, even those in starring roles, are often what the British call wet. They fret about men. They whine about families. They rely upon others. 
And to me, this isn't very realistic. Perhaps it's because I've got a strong-willed mother and two charismatic sisters. Perhaps it's because virtually every woman I know is intelligent and capable. But for my money, most women in the world are more than a match for the men in their lives. So it's frustrating to see them depicted in fiction as helpless or reduced somehow. And whilst Anna Fox in The Woman in the Window is a hot mess, and a mess largely of her own making, she's no damsel in distress. Throughout the course of the book, she identifies an issue, pursues an inquiry, confronts an antagonist of some description, all without the help of a man, or Mm -hmm. indeed without the help of anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's also why I was keen to call her a woman in the title. I was just going to mention that. That's one of the reasons why I was so excited to read the book. It Mm -hmm. wasn't girl this, girl that, girl other thing. It was the woman in the window. Yes, and that wasn't... Important. It wasn't a market consideration, although the market is glutted with with girls. Yeah. And I'm not citing Gone Girl here because, to me, that title sort of bristles with irony. That book is about how men taxonomize and reduce and infantilize women. And certainly I'm not implicating every girl title in in this complaint of mine, but if you're 18 years of age or older, and you're female, you are legally, and in most cases, biologically, a woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a great thing to be. I, 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 wish, I wish publishers, and again, I'm speaking in broad terms, but I wish they wouldn't pander to women by infantilizing them. I, I, I like to think of this as quite a feminist book, in that it addresses this 38-year-old woman as a woman. That's what she is. That's a great thing to be. She's a grown-up. This is why I thought you were a woman. Uh, I, <laughs> again, not the first time. <laughs> I mean, as a writer. I can live know. with that, yes. Um, Rear Window, you mentioned it. Yes. Was it the, the 1954 movie starring Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly? Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful, uh, and I've seen it many times yeah. myself, but... Uh, was this part of why you wrote The Woman in the Window? What, were you thinking about Rear Window and then just extrapolating from it? I'll tell you how it happened. When I was 21 years old, going way, way back now, <laughs> I was, well, <laughs> but thank you. I was uh, diagnosed with severe clinical depression. And for the next 15 years, I resorted to every treatment imaginable from hypnotherapy to talk therapy, from medication to meditation, and barring limited success with talk therapy. Nothing really worked. Nothing proved spectacularly fruitful. And then in uh, July 2015, I consulted a psychiatrist because I wanted to switch medications as I'd done before in in hopes of something that would improve or restore me. And after grilling me for an hour and a half, he said, you know, I think think you've been misdiagnosed. I think you've got bipolar disorder. And I said, I, I don't consider myself to have experienced a manic episode. I've never gone full carry in Homeland. And he, he told me, no, 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 there, there are different strains of bipolar. I think you've got what we call bipolar 2, wherein the highs are not as dizzying, but the lows are lower and last longer. And I said, how will we know? And he told me, well, I'll put you on a new prescription after we've taken you off your old one, and we'll see how it works. So this was in July, two and a half years ago. And in July and August, the publishing industry in which I worked shuts down. So I got to spend about six weeks on the couch titrating off my old meds and titrating onto new ones. And I'd done this before, and I always say that I I feel like the Hulk turning back into Bruce Banner or vice versa. On this particular occasion, midway through the process, it became clear that the medication was working, which was exciting to me. And so one night I was parked on my sofa watching Rear Window because I take great comfort in in classic films and books I've loved. And uh, in my peripheral vision, I saw a light flicker. I looked out the window. I live in Chelsea. And across the street in this beautiful townhome, a woman had turned on her light, and so I'm watching her. And then I look back at the screen where Jimmy Stewart is watching Raymond Burr, and I thought, <laughs> how funny that 
60 years on, I'm doing exactly the same thing. Voyeurism is timeless. <laughs> and it occurred to me that there might be a story here. And this character, this woman, strode into my head. And although the circumstances of our respective traumas and depressions are very different, they felt to me comparable in intensity. In the book, we learn that something has befallen Anna, something terrible, and she's having trouble dealing with it. She is aggrieved, she is housebound, she's unable to leave. And at numerous points during my depression, I was unable to prize myself from bed, let alone leave the house. So between my, my experience, my corrective experience with depression, and the influence and inspiration of Jimmy Stewart, Rear Window, Hitchcock, and film noir more broadly, this, this sort of sloshed together in my head and took shape quite quickly. I never knew a lot about agoraphobia mm -hmm. before reading your book. And right. It sort of had me looking into it. Yes. And it really made her so much more a sympathetic character. And maybe it was because of the old movies that she watched. Maybe it was also because she coped with Merlot. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe too does. many yeah. bottles of Merlot. <laughs> but it really made her a sympathetic character. And that was inter interesting to me how you pulled that off. Oh, what right. you did. Good. The agoraphobia serves as a device, of course. It mm -hmm. keeps her housebound, which demands a certain degree of, of narrative ingenuity. I've always been interested in movies like Hitchcock's that frequently strand people in confined settings. Hitch did this over and over. He like did it Jimmy in Rear Stewart Window. with uh, the broken leg, right? Absolutely. Oh. Rear Window, case in point. Mm -hmm. He did it in uh, Lifeboat, where everyone's mm -hmm. in a lifeboat, dial in for murder, wrote yeah. over and over. And uh, I also wanted to give this character some hobbies, uh, which is why she watches so many old films. The films actually serve as a, they serve a dual purpose. They lend atmosphere to the proceedings, and they also serve as narrative clues, or do they, as to what might happen. So if a reader comes across the title Gaslight, they might think, oh, is someone gaslighting her? Or do or, they? Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's completely correct. But just to round off what I was saying, the agoraphobia is a device, but it also serves as a useful metaphor for her state. She is, she is locked in psychologically, just as she's locked in physically. But I'm glad it, uh, it intrigued you. Yes. Mm. And uh, I, I read Agatha Christie also, as I understand you did as a, as as a, a child. And I actually and published her as an adult. Oh, really? Yes. She never returns my calls, but I did, I did publish her. Yes. <laughs> well, um, the twisty endings, and we don't want to give that I away because they're, I had no idea. I mean, reading the end, I was <gasps> totally Excellent. shocked. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's what I was going for. So, so it, was, it was really fabulous. Um, and actually, I'll tell you after the interview, there was a specific Agatha Christie novel that influenced that ending. Oh. But I, I won't say it out loud right oh, now. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, don't. Yeah. No, because no, no. that might give too much Absolutely. away. Um, even though Anna is a, a, an old movie fan, yep. um, she also deals with the internet. Yes. And she has a cell phone, although her use of the cell phone is sort of sporadic, yep. right? Yep. And she also has a landline still, so it's that that holdover it's into... So analog, yeah, isn't it? Yes. Right. Um, but it does keep her in 2017. Yes. Or 2018 now that we are Yes, here. absolutely. I, I do the same thing all the time. Yeah. Well, all the time for the past two and a half days. <laughs> uh, as, as a publisher of, of principally crime fiction and thrillers, I've been frustrated over the years by the advent, so-called, of digital technology. It's actually made plotting suspense fiction much harder. It used to be that you could strand a, a heroine or a hero down a blind alley, corner them, and they were, they were stuck. Yeah. Now all they have to do is haul out their iPhone and call the police, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. In The Woman in the Window, technology actually proved a saving grace, both for, both for the character, because it helps keep her connected to the outside world, 
or to the digital world at least, and for me as an author, because it, it enabled me to, well, to plot the book. Mm -hmm. without, without technology, this would have been a story about a woman whom people visit from time to time. Yeah, yeah, very good, mm. very good. Um, I understand that you have already, already sold the movie rights yeah. to your book. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. That was exciting. And so do we know any, I know it's early days, but what happens now? Will, when will we see it on the big screen? Well, I'll tell you, we, um, we sold the film rights before we actually sold any of the publishing rights. Wow. I know. The manuscript had made its way around Hollywood. I, I do not know how. In, in publishing, there are individuals called scouts whose clients include movie studios, and their job is to get their, their hands on manuscripts as but they circulate. But this wasn't your agent or anything? This was not my agent, oh. no. And actually, we were disinclined to entertain offers from Hollywood. We wanted to conclude the book business first, but uh, Fox, bless them, would not leave us alone. And uh, I remember my agent calling me when I was in LAX, and she said, oh, great news, we've got a film offer, and I think you should hear it. I said, well, tell me about it. She told me, it's, it's what they call an exploding offer. You need to accept or reject it on the phone now, so I'm going to give you the sum, and you an say yes or no. exploding right? offer. Doesn't that sound sexy? Or it something does. out of 24? So I got very nervous, and I said, what's the offer? I'm going to be gauche and talk money for a second. And my agent said, well, it's a million dollars. Do you want it? And I thought, let me think. Yes, I would like that. <laughs> so, very much. Right? So, so we hung up, and I wanted to tell someone about this, but there was no one in the terminal aside from a lovely Japanese family, a mother, husband, and, uh, and child. And so I turned to them, and I just gave them a thumbs up and smiled, and, and bless them, Pat. They all turned back to me and did the same thing. Oh, nice. I know. I, we're not still in touch, but that was lovely. <laughs> so the studio swiftly attached its producer, a fellow named Scott Rudin, who's a oh, sure. total visionary, won an Oscar for No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. has done everything from the social network to the Grand Budapest Hotel to mm -hmm. Clueless, one of my favorites. And Scott Rudin, in turn, has recruited to write the script Tracy Letts, the Pulitzer Prize-winning mm -hmm. playwright of August Dosage County. So between Scott and Tracy, I, I feel I'm in very... Scott and Tracy. Scott and Tracy. <laughs> I've actually had the pleasure of meeting Scott. I'm sure Tracy does not know who I am, but uh, T-Dog, I call him. So uh, between those two, I feel I'm in excellent hands. Fox has done a great job. Casting wow. will be the last, uh, the last step. Any ideas? So I know that if I were to name six actresses, the studio would cast the seventh. Yeah. And I'd look like a twit. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> I will, I'll tell you, though. I'll tell you whom I would have cast had this film been made in 1958. It would have been Jean Tierney. Oh, sure. The star of Laura. Yes. Because she, in her personal life, was afflicted with a grievance not dissimilar to Anna's. I did not know that. Yeah, oh, this is, I'll make this real quick. It's a fascinating story. Jean Tierney was one of the great Sure. Screen actresses of the mm -hmm. 40s. Daryl Zanuck called her one of the most beautiful women, actually the most beautiful woman ever to grace mm -hmm. the screen. And uh, in the 40s, married to Oleg Cassini. She did not know that. Yeah, right? <laughs> You're educating me. education today. <laughs> in the 40s, uh, during the war, she gave birth to a daughter who was severely deformed, required a total blood transfusion at birth, and was promptly and reluctantly institutionalized oh. for the rest of her life. The child had been born with German measles, which baffled Jean Tierney and the doctors. They didn't know how she'd contracted it. A few years after that, post-war, a woman approached Jean Tierney and said, I was a nurse during the war. I was in quarantine for German measles. But when I heard that you would be signing autographs nearby, I snuck out of quarantine and shook your hand and got your autograph. And this is when Jean Tierney realized what had happened, and this actually inspired Agatha Christie's novel, The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side. Oh. Isn't that terrible? Oh. So, so Jean Tierney could radiate both steeliness and vulnerability. And beauty, of And course. beauty, absolutely. And oh. she was a brunette, which 
Not that it matters. Maybe that's why she didn't work with Hitchcock, but I like that she's not a Hitchcock blonde. Yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with blondes. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so no ideas about who? See, I'm going to press you on this. We've, we've heard that numerous actresses have registered interest because there are so few roles in Hollywood, especially leading roles for women over the age of 35, it seems. Yeah. And this character is 38. approaching 40. 38. Mm -hmm. She turns 39 over the course of the book. And I'd like to think it's a, it's a pretty juicy role. Oh, so, my goodness, yes. So we've, we've been fortunate to have heard rumors of actresses like Kate Blanchett, like Ooh. Amy Adams, oh, and, yeah. and many, many others who are equally splendid. Mm. So I'll be excited to see what happens. Well, this has been a real treat talking to you. Thank and you. I wish you well. I know I don't need to wish you well because you're going to do very well with this. And I have to show you this. Um, your, it isn't paranoia if it's really happening is what they put on the, <laughs> yeah. the marketing version yes. of this. And the book is, I'll hold up a better one. Sure. There we go. The Woman in the, the Window. The Woman in the Window. And it's by A.J. Finn or Daniel Mallory. Daniel Mallory. I answer to literally anything. So. Well, congratulations again <laughs> on you, everything. Pat. And thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Amid all the holiday hustle and bustle, you might have missed this bit of news. Author Sue Grafton has died. Grafton, best known for her alphabetically titled detective novels, was 77. The series had reached Why is for Yesterday in August. Our Pat Farnack last spoke to her when her penultimate novel, X, was published. Sue Grafton burst onto the literary scene years and years ago with her book, A is for Alibi. Well, now she's made it all the way to X. And her main character, Kinsey Milhone, is back as well. I talked with Sue Grafton just the other day about X. I, first of all, am happy to see X. But at the same time, I'm sad because I know there's only Y and Z to go. Well, I may go on after that. I'm waiting to see what kind of shape I'm in. I'll be close to 80. Oh. All my classmates are dead or retired and i'm thinking man it might be time to kick up my heels and here's the deal if as long as i have the strength and i haven't been institutionalized i'll be happy to go on as long as miss milhone is willing to share her adventures but she would never allow me to write about anyone else just forget that <laughs> i hear you i hear you you know we we have talked before you and i uh and it is really comforting in in a way that kinsey is always 38 years old you must have I know, gotten yeah, a lot of comfort from that over the years huh me too. I keep thinking we're not going to watch her go through menopause, for God's sake. <laughs> now, X was um, in in the Grafton tradition of uh, interesting storylines going all at once. And there's one storyline about um, an elderly couple. They move in next door to uh, Kinsey, and it's a charade. They turn out to be con artists, and you don't normally <laughs> think of, right? You don't think of el the elderly as con artists. Well, I started reading about squatters, who are people who just find empty houses and help themselves. And apparently, if you pull it off for a period of time, you pick up property rights, which is just shocking to wow. me. Uh, but it was fun because they appeared to be so sweet and good-natured, and that <laughs> turned out they were quite the connivers. So always a, a popular subject with me. If you're wondering if a ghostwriter will be tapped to write the final Z book, don't hold your breath. Grafton's daughter tells the New York Times, as far as we and the family are concerned, the alphabet now ends in Y.
That's this week's podcast. Next week, we chat with one of our favorite authors, Steve Barry, who's out with another Cotton Malone book. If you want to know more about what we're working on, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books.